we're in. All right. Awesome. All right. So, you ready to start the episode? Yeah. All right. Introduce us. Get us, get us going. Hey, guys. Welcome to the seventh episode of the 13th floor. 13th floor. <laughs> How are you guys doing today? Good. Yeah. 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 Yep. I took the next couple of days off work. <gasps> Tomorrow is Cece's birthday. I guess I won't say it on here what it is. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to be a year older and a year wiser. Yeah. Yeah. So I, t- I took off the next couple of days to go celebrate. Yeah. We're going to go to uh, Candytopia. Candytopia, which is a an interactive art exhibit made of nothing but candy. By the what? way. I've only heard one review from yeah. someone that's actually gone. They hated it, so. Oh, no. Well, I hope it's better I, than. I wanted to knock down expectations because I think I read good things online, but this person didn't like it, so. Well, and they maybe, went to New York. Maybe New that York. person is just a fuddy-duddy. They're a fool. Yeah, they're a fool. They're trying to rain on a parade already. I'm sorry I brought uh, yeah, that to well, you live on the podcast. You've upset me. You've upset me now because I've really been looking forward to this. But I'm not going to I'm hey, not gonna think about it. I saw it. pictures online that looked pretty cool. I it's just make, an, oh, for those that don't know, Candytopia is like this art museum that's made with nothing but candy. I literally just said that. Yeah. I literally just oh repeated God. you. Oh, so no. this is one of those like all right. In the movie when let's, someone like hatches a plan, and then the other person says it, and everyone's like, oh, that's a great idea. Let's just move on. Let's stop talking about candy, and let's start talking about other things. Okay. But well, we have to do my icebreaker first. Oh, yeah. So I'm just going to go ahead and... All right. What's your favorite movie? Oh, gosh. Put I, me on the spot. I, that, that's, why, that's the whole point of me not telling you all the questions beforehand. So you just have to answer, and then you have to live with the regret later on when you remember a better movie. Oh, uh, the Life Aquatic. Okay. The Life Aquatic is my favorite movie. No, who ma- who makes it? Wes Anderson. All right, it starts Bill Murray, right? Y- that's yeah, a pretty good one. That's one of the. That's one of the. That's one the first Wes Anderson movie I ever saw in theaters. Wow, was that one? And it was very bizarre to watch for your first Wes Anderson movie. It's so good because I didn't know what to expect. I just it, knew it had Bill Murray in it. It's just pretty. It's a very pretty movie. Yeah, he's he's great at having those pretty so- shots. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah, he's phenomenal at it. And it's pretty funny that that's your favorite because it's like his worst reviewed movie. It's a good movie. James, what about you? Well, I can tell you my most quoted movie, at least, and that would be Tommy Boy. I don't think a day oh. passes where I don't quote Tommy Boy. Tommy Boy is phenomenal. <laughs> I had a roommate in college, and that is all that we watched. I mean, we watched it through high school, too. But, God. <laughs> That's a good pick. Tommy Boy is a phenomenal comedy. I had a, I had a Callahan Auto t-shirt, and uh, this one girl, she was absolutely adorable, and I thought, we have great chemistry. And then she points to my t-shirt, and it's like, so you used to work at that place? And I thought, oh, never mind. <laughs> Goodbye. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no. Oh. Yeah, that is a deal breaker. Uh, I think mine off the top of my head is, and I tried my best not to think about it too much, so I didn't have like a prepared answer. But I think mine is Children of Men. I think that's been oh. my favorite movie. I think it came out in 2007. And I think that's been my favorite movie for a long time. I've never seen it. I know, I know. Yeah. You should watch it sometime. It's an Alfonso <laughs> Cuaron. He did uh, Gravity, and he won an Oscar this year for, uh, what's that movie that your dad loves so much? Oh, I know what you're the one on about. Netflix that everyone's so Roma. mad. Roma, yeah. So uh, I need to he's see the one that. that did Roma. That's the only reason I want to see it is because it's Curon, but it just kind of looks like a pandering. Really? I, well, I haven't, I haven't seen anything can, about yeah, it. You but can't really, but judge it before you see it. I can because all Oscar contenders now are easily prejudgeable. All right, Cece, I'll, I'll give you back the reins. I've taken them away. I'm sorry. Aliens. Let's get to it. We're going to talk about aliens today, you guys. <laughs> Specifically, we're, we're going to kind of dive into the different kinds of encounters, like um, an encounter of the first kind and the second kind and the third kind and so on and so forth. So, Are you going to give them a breakdown of what each of those means? Because I didn't even know. For some reason, I always thought there was only a third kind. <laughs> uh, the Steven the movie? Spielberg movie. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so I never really put any thought into it. I think originally there was just the third kind, and then they just kind of started adding to it. Well, actually, it turns out that the uh, 
the guy that came up with that classification system uh-huh. has a cameo in it, yeah. Uh, in the movie. Yeah, in the movie. Uh, oh, yeah, I heard that. Okay, I just uh, blanked on it. <laughs> it's literally called Close Encounters of the Third yeah, I, know, I, I, know, I, almost, I, I started to think I wanted to call it Strange Encounters of the Third I'm like, I know that's not it. I almost called it Adventures of the Third Kind. But you know what? Let's, let's talk about J. Allen Hynek. Yeah, he's the one. He's the one. He's the one who came up with the classification system with all these different types of alien experiences. And being a man of science, he was an astrophysicist and UFO advisor for the U.S. Air Force back in the 1940s, 50s, 60s. So he, being a man of science, wanted to devise a way to classify different types of alien encounters. So he created the Hynek scale. Okay. Yes. Yeah. And these are all the different types of alien experiences. There are he created six. There are more that have been created since he kind of came up with his six. So let me just go through those really quickly and just give you an overview just so you know what you're getting into, listeners. <laughs> okay. So um the first three don't really have names, like they aren't like a kind. They're just they're named after what they are. It's not Close yeah, they're na- yeah, exactly. And that's the reason they're not really close. That's that's the deal. <laughs> yeah. So the first three are um, nocturnal lights. So that's seeing lights in the sky. Okay. Different colored lights that can't be explained. Uh, the next one is daylight discs, which are seeing oval metallic flying objects in the sky. So you okay. see an alien ship. It's not just a light. It's like an actual thing. So do you think when he did this classification system that... He strictly meant UFO as an unidentified flying object, not as in terms of aliens, but could be like a yeah. rival sp- air force or something like that. Yeah, I think so. Okay, I think that he he kind of devised this, but there were like that. This is the. But then I guess the third, the third kind is when we definitely get extraterrestrial, right? Well, the uh, the third yeah the third one that isn't like a numbered case is radar visual cases. So this is when there's a blip on the radar screen that coincides with visual reports. So somebody says, oh, I saw okay. a daylight disc. And then there's also <laughs> yeah. a yeah a blip on the radar. Oh, I got a funny anecdote about a radar one later. We'll, we'll, we'll delve okay. into that much later. <laughs> I can't wait to hear it. So next is an alien encounter of the first kind, which is what I will be covering today. And it involves seeing a UFO. Within 200 yards of the witness, but there's no interaction with the witness or environment. So the, that's remarkably just close to just I to, know. to get even on the classification scale. I know. I mean, well, that's what I, I thought was that was very interesting because it says everything that I read. And I found a lot of information on Wikipedia. I found an article on Curiosity.com. It said everything said within 200 yards. Wow, hmm. that's pretty cool. Consistent. Because that's yeah. that's less than two football fields. So I mean that that's. I'll take your word you for it. You should be able to see it pretty good. Yeah, you'd have to see it really close. Okay. Close encounter of the first kind. It's not that close, though. An alien encounter of the second kind involves the UFO interacting with the environment. So there's some usually some type of tangible evidence that is left behind. Okay. So like scorch marks or yeah, something. Yeah, scorch or marks or something. Crop circles. Yeah. So tangible evidence of some sort. And then the third kind involves actually seeing an alien in the flesh. Mm, that's what no, I'm doing. No, thank you. Yeah, you're covering covering third kind. So those are those are all of Hynek's classifications, but there have been some that have been created since he created his. And the other types, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, they I, I read about all this on Wikipedia, by the way. Fourth kind, someone's reality is altered during experience with the alien. So like an alien abduction. Okay. Fifth kind, communication occurs between human and extraterrestrial. So, like, James sees an alien and says, hey, what's up? And then the alien says, not much, dude. What's up with you? That would be uh, an encounter of the fifth kind. Okay. And then a sixth kind, a death occurs. Ooh. Ooh. And some might, you know, you could could argue that that's technically an encounter of the second kind, too. There's a dead body. There's some type of evidence. Well, but was the second kind, did it? It interacts with the environment or witness. Okay, so even even the alien itself, not just its ship. Yeah. Okay. okay uh, no, no, the ship counts. The ship counts. Yeah, the ship. Yeah, well, the yeah, ship no, counts. I knew the ship counts, but I thought it meant only the ship interacted. Ah, uh, gotcha. See, I guess it 
it all gets kind of fuzzy because it's like if the alien interacts, technically you've seen it. So that would right. be yeah. a well, third kind. Well, it's very easy to move from different kinds, it looks like. Well, like, seventh yeah. kind is my favorite. Seventh kind, the creation of an alien-human hybrid. Oh, mm-hmm. so he has sex with an alien. Can you imagine? <laughs> oh, man. So basically, Peter Quill was the result of oh. a seventh. Yeah, seventh kind of encounter from Guardians of the Galaxy. That's quite the encounter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. His mama was a human and his daddy was a god. Uh, <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> that's true. I think we have a Marvel reference in every episode so we far. We do. That's because Marvel is, oh, it draws off all of this stuff so well. But we're not here I to know. talk about Marvel. We're here to talk about aliens, okay? Okay. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I am going to talk about an encounter of the first kind. So, once again, this is somebody seeing a ship. Okay. Yeah. And I guess, well, I'll go into it later. But I'll be brief with mine since I have talked quite a bit so far. Oh, no don't, don't worry about it. Okay. So I'm going to talk about the USS Nimitz aircraft carrier encounter with something that's been dubbed the Tic Tac UFO. Okay. Have I'm, I'm going to guess it's shaped like a Tic Tac. Yeah, I think <laughs> that's a good assumption. If there's one thing I've learned through doing all this research for these different shows is everyone uses the most obvious name possible. I was halfway is, hoping it true. was a tic-tac-toe pun, but oh well. No, it's, it's shaped like a little oval, ovular. Ovular. <laughs> shaped like a, a tic-tac. Okay. All right. Hmm. Anyways, let's let's move on from my word gaff there. James, do you know anything about the Tic Tac? Actually, no. This is the first I've heard of that one. <gasps> oh, my goodness. I always get so excited when I've got something that James has never heard of. Hmm. Okay. So, are you guys ready? Yeah. All right. So, way back in November 2004, the U.S. Air Force was patrolling the West Coast of the United States when some strange activities started popping up on their radar. So they're all just, you know, sitting in their little aircraft carriers listening to Yeah by Usher. (laughs) And then all of a sudden they see this weird little circle, oval rather, on their radar. And they're like, well, what the heck is that? So they started seeing all these little spots look like Tic Tacs, hence the name. So the weird thing about these ships is that they didn't appear to have any form of propulsion. So Hmm. they didn't have wings or engine or any of that stuff uh-huh. so they're just kind of like floating along in the air and at some point they say they were hovering so they tracked these ships for about two weeks and they just kept randomly popping up on the radar so on november 14th the u.s navy was flying a combat exercise when these little tic tacs started popping up so they sent some fighter jets to go check things out so the fire jets get to where the tic tacs was spotted on the radar but guess what there's nothing there Ooh, spooky. At least they can't see anything. But the USS Princeton, which is, I guess, one of the ships that was associated with the uh, combat exercise they were doing, they spotted the object on their radar, so it's still there. And they said they observed the tic-tac dropping from 28,000 feet to near sea level in less than a second. Wow. So this thing's nuts. dropping fast. Wow. Yeah, it can move really fast. So the pilots look down the water, and at this point, they claim to see the ocean like turning wildly and kind of in the shape of a circle. Um, and it looked like the way they kind of described it was it looked like water was breaking over the surface of something. Oh, okay. And at first, I thought that it was the tic tac, like the tic tac was in the water, maybe. But some people say that they think that the tic tac was like going to have a rendezvous with this giant, massive thing that was in the ocean. Oh, Godzilla. (laughs) I don't know what it was, but it's creepy. So they're not sure what it was, but moments later, the pilots see the Tic Tac with their own eyes. Oh, They're like, what the heck is that, dude? So the pilots, Commander David Fravor and Lieutenant Commander Jim Slate said the UFO was about 30 to 46 feet long, and it didn't have any windows, propellers, or anything that it needed to fly. So they try to approach this thing, but it zips off faster than you can say one, two, three. Like, it's gone. And they're like, where the heck did it go? And then this Tic Tac pops up again on the radar within seconds, but it's 60 miles away. Wow. So it's moving really fast, you guys. 
I'll say. So Fravor later spoke with the New York Times about the experience, and he said, quote, I have no idea what I saw. It had no plumes, wings, or rotors, and outran our F-18s, but I want to fly one, end quote. <laughs> wow, that's pretty crazy. Yes. It's bananas. Man, and that was recent, too. Yeah, it was. All mine are from, like, the 50s. Well, that's so. what, when I was trying to find some incidents of the first kind, a lot of them, like, there are a lot of them in the 50s. Yeah. Which I think is why Hynek ended up devising this, uh, his scale to kind of describe and classify all of these alien encounters that were starting to occur. Hmm. So one of the um, one of the Nimitz Tic Tac UFO encounters, it, it was actually caught on infrared camera, and the footage was released by the Pentagon in December of 2017, and they revealed funding of the Advanced Aerospace Threat Identification Program, which was a secret government investigation into. Unexplained area. This is some stuff. Wow. Yeah, this is cool. <laughs> yeah. New York Times did include a disclaimer because if you look up, if you search Tic Tac UFO on Google, you'll see all the stuff will pop up. But the New York Times did include a disclaimer in its report saying, quote, experts caution that early explanations often exist for such incidents and that not knowing the explanation does not mean that the event has interstellar origins. It does have interstellar origins. It's weird. It's really strange. <laughs> there is a there is a lot of debate as to whether the video really depicts UFO though, and you can well one guy, Kyle Mizomaki, a writer who specializes in defense and security issues, offered up three possible explanations for what was in the video. Oh man! Yeah, what? first one: equipment malfunction or misinterpretation. So oh. it could possibly be human uh, misinterpretation. So somebody could say, "I don't know what that is." Sure. And then everybody's like, you know, group think. Everybody's like, oh, I don't know what it is either. I know if I saw a Tic Tac moving that fast, I'd be. Yeah, they had skeptical. trouble. They had trouble <laughs> keeping their eye on it because it moves so quickly. So that was one explanation offered up by Mizumaki. Two, uh, classified government technology. So it could be something that some government around the globe has built. And they don't want anyone to know about. Nobody, you know, is talking Or even about. our own government. It's didn't mean for them to find out. Yeah. And then third, it was really of extraterrestrial origin. I don't know if they can hear you whisper. I'm sorry. <laughs> it was really an alien. Oh. Man, that's pretty cool. I, I haven't seen a whole lot of like recent encounters when I was doing my research in terms of like with that much validity. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, it was, it was really bizarre. But I, I thought it was really interesting. And there are lots of people... Um, I was trying to find if anybody else had seen Tic Tac shaped UFOs like other than just this one incident. Oh. And I found a lot of people who saw the um the lights, the flashing lights. Mm-hmm. What was it called again? I saw a lot of people like, who had witnessed the uh the nocturnal lights, uh, but I couldn't find anything that said specifically the Tic Tac. But then again, if you search Tic Tac UFO, it pulls up all of this recent data that was. Like the recent news stories, so maybe if I'd gone further back in time, I could have found something. Well, it seems like bright lights. I guess I don't know what nocturnal light means, but it's at night. Well, I know that, but what's a nocturnal <laughs> light? Does it mean it's bright? Does that mean it's dull? Does it's, that mean it, they said that it could be it could be several different colors of light? White, blue. I think orange was one of them. Green. Okay, because that's the a common theme. If you see something at night. And it's definitely not a star, then it qualifies. That would be my guess. Okay. A, a common theme in all of these things is probably a nocturnal light yeah. of some right. sort, which is pretty cool. Yeah, pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyways, that is the story of the USS Nimitz. That's pretty cool. Alien encounter. Yeah, I never heard really? of the Tic Tac. It's very interesting. It freaks me out because I don't like aliens. They scare me, but... I want to hear more about aliens. James, I know you're covering a second kind of encounter. Yeah, I'm, I'm covering close encounters of the second kind. And I've got two stories. One is, is longer and more interesting, and one's a little more broad and, and shorter. I'll start with the short, broad one. And that is the most obvious example of a close encounter of the second kind would be crop circles. Because, you know, that's that's clearly the direct influence of a spacecraft interfacing with the world with our environment and uh generally speaking 
they've sort of been debunked largely. Crop circles, we know for a fact that they can be made by human beings. In fact, people do it intentionally now to drum up uh, mm-hmm. tourism or just as a prank. And the main way that they're done is, you know, you go out in the middle of a field, wheat, corn, what have you, and you take a plank, you tie it to a rope or a chain, and you make circles walking, you know, in concentric circles until it's all flat. And you can make all sorts of neat designs. But here's mm-hmm. the thing. Yeah. There are some instances, and this goes back many decades, starting in Minnesota and disproportionately affecting Minnesota, as well as the British countryside. Sometimes there are crop circles that are both geometrically implausible to do with a plank, but more importantly, sometimes there are influences in that area that can't really be explained away by human influence. For example, there was a field of wheat in Britain that had a crop circle made, and when they analyzed the barley, or wheat, or whatever the heck it was, they found that extreme heat had been generated over the, uh, over the actual plants, enough to the point that it actually cooked the seeds within those seed pods. Additionally, there were trace elements that really shouldn't be found under Farmer John's boots. Um, heavy metals that you would normally see in, say, an asteroid or maybe an advanced spacecraft. It's very unlikely that some teenager went out there, cooked the barley or wheat at the same time as they made the circle, and had trace amounts of titanium under their shoes, under the little sneakers. So that's unusual, and that's that's the short end of that. Is is there's so many crop circles that I really didn't want to fixate on a single individual case. It's just the fact that we know that a lot of crop circles are fake, but some. Uh, evidence points more towards them being a close encounter of the second kind rather than a prank. Yeah, and isn't uh, and maybe you may have said this and I missed it, but isn't one of the things that kind of raises some questions is sometimes the crop circles are so perfectly shaped that they couldn't have been done by a exactly the designs can be remarkable. There are even some where some people claim that it's a response to the probe we sent out. Do, do you all remember uh, the, that probe we sent out with uh, information about Earth? Yes. Yeah. There. Well, we sent out a lot of information, and some of it included the location of Earth as well as the structure of uh, our DNA. We, we, the golden record on Voyager. That's what it was called. That's right. I was trying mm-hmm. to remember. Um, well, there was a crop circle, in, um, and it happened to have... The location, it was a similar shape, but it was the location of a world, and it showed uh, a structure similar to DNA. And what was interesting about it, I mean, of course, this could be a prank. There were none of the strange anomalies with this one, but it looked like the uh, world was, if I remember right, in the Betelgeuse galaxy, and the DNA, if I recall, was cyanide-based rather than uh, phosphorus-based, like ours. So, interesting So they could have been responding... Right. With their own some, information. Some people think that's the case. Now, in my opinion, I'm a little skeptical of that because, one, if you get this golden record, what are the odds that their response is, oh, man, we need to put this in a cornfield somewhere. <laughs> like, that <laughs> yeah, was their response. Yeah. You'd think they'd give us something uh, of, of equal merit. Or may- then again, maybe they, they scour the earth and they're like, man, these, these humans, they love corn. Let's, uh, you know, <laughs> they knew we loved gold, so let's, let's just make sure that we do something approximate. So, yeah, that, that's the close encounter of the second kind that's the most obvious uh, and the most, I guess you could say, ingrained in the human zeitgeist. But How, also, how oh, long does it take to make a crop, crop circle? circle? Depends on how complicated the circle is, but it takes time. Generally speaking, you're looking at, at clocking in all night. So you have to be a really bored kid or whatever, which again, a lot of these are in Minnesota and Nebraska, so I, I can get it. There's not a lot of nightclubs in Minnesota and Nebraska. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you want you and your buddies, you want to spend the next eight hours making crop circles. But yeah, um, uh, the, the, the other story that was a little more interesting and very strange and oddly enough cc you know you were saying that you don't recall any other tic-tac shaped uh ufos maybe that's just because 
we're more health conscious in the 21st century because my story involves cigar-shaped craft. Oh, kind of similar. I think I've heard of the cigar-shaped. Yeah, there's, there's plenty of sightings of cigar-shaped craft. In this case, what I'm talking about are Foo Fighters, not the band either. Um, in, uh, in World War II, well, let me, let me preface this by saying that before World War II, you know, we, we talked about how weird the uh, post-World War I culture was, and people were into some strange things, seances and magical thinking, kind of like the way things are now, because, you know, people just didn't know who to trust or what to think. Well, one of the elements of that, like with our internet memes, was people after World War I, they really liked surreal humor. They like the weird, ironic kind of humor. They were like the hipsters of uh, the early 20th century. And one of these popular little uh, forms of surreal humor was Smokey Stover. <laughs> and it was this little comic strip, and it was just crazy nonsense. And one of the main characters was a Foo Fighter. That was his job. And it was just meant to be like this silly little nonsense job. And people would ask him, like, what do you do? You're a Foo Fighter. He's like, I fight foos. And so that's where the origin of the name comes from. So fast forward to 1941. There's this Polish vessel in the Indian Ocean, and they see a cigar-shaped, what, what appeared to be an object made out of solid light. And they reported it, and nothing came of it. And that was the end of that particular story. Thankfully, it's not the end of my story. Uh, fast forward, yeah, and it's important to note, 1941, World War II is in full swing, right? Three years later, 1944, you got the, the uh, 415th Night Fighter Squadron. They're flying over Germany. They're going down the Rhine River. It's dead of night. Lieutenant Ed Schuliter and Lieutenant John Myers, they're flying around. Quarter moon, decent illumination, but, you know, it's still nighttime. And they see these lights, these strange roaring, fiery orange lights, 10 of them in a row, right off his right wing, right? He checks the radar, nothing, nothing on the radar. So he thinks, oh man, the Germans have got something new. This is terrifying. So he, they start doing maneuvers. They're just, they just vanish immediately. So these two dudes have seen something crazy and they're terrified to talk about it because they don't want to, you know, a health evaluation where it's like, oh, you two are just nuts. <laughs> so you're, you're just more home. The war is over as far as you two are concerned. So uh, then near uh, Brasic, Germany, a few months later, another pilot, and oddly enough, this fella, he didn't want to be named. He's flying, and he sees five or six green and red lights in a T formation that are following him. They close in about a thousand feet from him, and then they just disappear. So then, fast forward just a few days, and two more flight crews have the same sightings. They see these big lights, large orange glow. They rise up from the earth. They tail the fighter. They outmaneuver the fighter. The fighter turns, and they peel off and turn away, and then vanish. Now, the reason why this is even a second kind encounter is. For, for one reason, some of the, the people claim to have seen exhaust, in which case, after they've seen the, uh, the lights, there's something that remains that's interacted with the atmosphere. But not everybody did. In fact, most of them didn't. What I consider this to be a second encounter is because of the effects that it actually had on the, the pilots. Every single one of them claimed that upon seeing them, and obviously they're going to be scared, but they also had vertigo. Now, that's very interesting to me because if people on the ground aren't seeing these things, but pilots are and it's causing vertigo, that sounds to me like it's been weaponized. Like the, the purpose is to get these pilots to crash. Oddly enough, there were no fatalities associated. So it wasn't a, what was it, a sixth kind encounter? Yeah. A, yeah, sixth kind is where someone dies. Now, now, one of the dudes who was doing this, he was flying, uh, I think it was, let's see, Lieutenant Krasny. There were several of these dudes, as I pointed out. At least one of them, when they were asked as to, you know, like, what are you seeing? Because they're, they're in constant communication with the radio. Thinking of that weird comic strip that those people like to read back, and he's like, oh, Foo Fighter. And it just sort of became the term for it. <laughs> 
and, you know, influence the band and all that. Um, but what I find interesting and the reason why I brought up that, you know, this was during World War II, we haven't seen them before uh, and we haven't seen them after. And it seems to affect fighter pilots. It seems to outmaneuver fighter pilots. And we know that the Nazis had crafts that resembled UFOs. Some people even think that all UFOs are just Nazi crafts. And, you know, they've got a secret colony or base in Antarctica and whatnot. Well, in this case, I can absolutely see this being an experimental Nazi weapon that's been classified and nobody ever found out what the deal was. Mm-hmm. I mean, it could be a weapon that causes vertigo in pilots and makes them crash. But what's hilarious is hearing all the other explanations. You know, oh, it, th- those were just flares from a flare gun. Those were just, and we hear this one all the time, those were just weather balloons. It's a weather balloon or swamp gas. And even, oh, it, it was just St. Elmo's fire. St. Elmo's fire, are you kidding me? This, it was moving faster than the ships. It was outmaneuvering the, fl- the ships. That's not how St. Elmo's fire works. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds, it sounds similar to some of the explanations that were used for my encounter. Yeah. Well, you also, your Weather encounter balloon. involved military guys. Listen to this. This is yep. what one of the, the, the magazines said. Oh, these were these are just normal airmen. Their primary interest is combat, pinup girls, poker, donuts, and derivatives <laughs> of the grape. So in other words, I was just a <laughs> bunch of drunk losers. That was basically how they tried to wash it off. <laughs> oh. Wow. But oddly enough, the most interesting thing about this one is it didn't influence the radar. And some of the people who saw it say that the reason why it didn't is because these craft were made out of solid, pure light. So they were like the Crystal Gems from Steven Universe. <laughs> if the Nazis have come up with a weapon that is just made of pure light. I think they would have. I think they would have uh, pursued their takeover by now. I, I, would have, I feel like they would have used it a lot more. Well, funny we enough, have I mean, more stories about it. Well, they are responsible for our modern spacecraft, so maybe they kind of did take over, and we just didn't notice. <laughs> That's true. Project Paperclip. Yep. Interesting. Yeah. Wow. So that moves. What would you do? On. Oh, sorry. have you ever had vertigo, James? Um. Yes. I. Uh, it runs in my family, and I hope I never get it permanently, like some of my other relatives, because it means you can't fly. And you can't do it's a lot terrible. of fun things. Yeah. I'm not a fan. I've had it once before. Oof, not me. Well, I just try to picture these pilots trying to fl- like fly their ships while they've got vertigo. Oh, exactly. And, and what's interesting is is that light would cause it. Because normal vertigo is caused by, you got these little rocks in your ear called statoliths. And when they move, you feel them move and you balance yourself accordingly. That's where our sense of balance comes from. This is not got anything to do with statilis. You know, this has to do, this has to have something to do with the way the eye perceives uh, your environment and, and you, you gauge yourself as level with your environment. Interesting, James. Thank you. All right, Alex, I'm ready to hear an encounter of the third kind. The third kind. All right, guys. So I can't tell you how difficult it was for me to find an encounter of the third kind. And it's mostly because of how I was searching Google, because uh, I kept putting third kind, and all I got was an estimated probably one billion articles about close encounters of the third, third kind. kind. Yep. You know, Steven Spielberg's classic movie. Yeah. yeah. So I found that in the majority of the alien encounters involved either a UFO sighting or getting a free prostate exam. Nice. But... <laughs> <laughs> but third kind encounters that don't escalate to like a uh, an abduction mm-hmm. seem to be a little more rare. Uh, At least that that was the case on Google, and it was also difficult to determine whether people were spotting like I guess Earth cryptids, like things like. Der- derivatives of Bigfoot and that type of thing, uh, yeah. as opposed to an alien. One man uh, claimed to see a vegetable monster. Ooh. And it was actually a pretty interesting story, but at the end of it, I was like, I don't know if that's an alien or if that's just some other type of being. So that was kind of tough. So while I was researching, I found that the majority of all alien activity seems to come from the United States. So 
when I stumbled upon these two cases that were out of the U.S., uh, they kind of caught my eye. The, the first one I found was on uh, Mysterious Universe. <laughs> that They're the ones that had the vegetable monster story as well. Ooh. So... Uh, my first story takes place in South America, in a in the South American country of Venezuela. You know, yeah, a lot of they're going through some stuff right now. Lately, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, you may have, you may have heard of them. So, in the mid 1950s, two guys named Gustavo Gonzalez and Jose Ponce they were driving a truck early in the morning hours, and they came across an enormous glowing orb floating about six feet off the ground in front of them. So they stopped. And they get out and they see several small, uh, about three foot tall humanoid creatures. They had like bristly hair and they were gathering rocks and putting them on the craft. So Trippy. So what happens next is similar to uh, Thor when everyone finds the hammer and they're all, they're trying, all, to, trying, to they're all trying to pick it up. And later on, there's a scene where the guy goes... They told me it was radioactive. I had my hands all over it. And he's laughing about it. These guys decide to not just approach to get a closer look. They decide to try to grab one of these things and take it. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) So, so they, they try to grab these like ape like creatures that are about three foot tall. And they turns out to find out that kind of like chimpanzees, they're a lot stronger than they look. <laughs> and so these things are way stronger than the guys. One guy even goes to stab it, and the creature Jeez. has no reaction to him stabbing it. And so they start clawing it. They One of the guys starts getting clawed at, and he gets a huge gash on him. So eventually the creatures shoot like a laser light at him, and the two guys fall to their knees, <laughs> and the creatures get on the ship and fly away. They just fly away. And so these, what? I'm just picturing like, <laughs> you know, like, you know, when you shoot your laser, laser pointer. Like yeah, I just laser picture pointer. them like shooting like a little tiny <laughs> yeah. laser pointer in their eyes. And yeah. Just, like, <laughs> yeah. like I imagine yeah. music to go with like. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so they all run onto their ship and they fly off and then they go to the, uh, the, the two guys go to the doctor. Uh, one of them does have a giant gash on them. Now, it you know, this could be anything. But the most interesting part of the whole story is another person came forward claiming that they saw all this happen. What? They saw the two guys go after it. They saw the whole thing happen. And they're like, what the heck? <laughs> Can you imagine watching that from, imagine yeah. watching that from a short distance away? Yeah, I know, but but that that's really kind of all the information I could find on it, uh, mostly because I got sidetracked by this story called the Domston Blobs. The Domston Blobs, and it starts out kind of similar. Two guys in the late 1950s, uh, a guy named Hans Gustafsson and Stig Rydberg, they were traveling in the early morning around a foggy road, and they had to pull aside because it was so foggy they couldn't see. And so once they pulled up, pulled over, they got outside the vehicle and they noticed through the haze a sort of nocturnal light. Ooh. <laughs> what color was it? I don't know. They said it's a glow emanating from the forest nearby. They didn't okay. say what color. I picture it being blue. So that's now a fact. <laughs> that's now a fact. It was blue. It's blue. And so the two of them decided to check it out. Like, what? What? what's the light in these trees? I don't understand people that... Think I'm gonna go look at this. To be fair, if I was pulled over the side of the road and I saw a light, I wouldn't go. That's an alien. <laughs> if <laughs> you know? if I saw something that I didn't recognize, I would say, you know what? Just let sleeping dogs lie. Just just turn around. <laughs> yeah. James, would you go and look? Absolutely. Like that's that's my immediate <laughs> impulse, and yeah, it it's gotten me in trouble more often than than not. But still, yeah. Also, see, and that's, that's why I would turn around. It's a blue glow. It might be the Asari. So I want to get kidnapped by them. You know what? I'm not even <laughs> going to ask. The Asari are an alien race on a video game Mass Effect. We'll leave it at that. Okay. <laughs> and they're, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and they're they're all women. So that's why James is wanting to get kidnapped by them. Yeah. Okay. So <laughs> Gustafsson and Rydberg go to look at the blue light. Right. So they go about 150 foot into the wood. Okay. Looking for this thing. And 
they come across the source of the glow, and it's this ship, disc-like, and it's resting on two legs that are about two feet tall. So this is kind of a small ship. It's not, it's not huge. But what they see is these little... Oh, um, by the way, the color of the lights did change throughout it. I just remembered. Oh, okay. <laughs> oh, man. Okay. So, big, there's an answer so to your So now it's yellow. Yeah, yeah. It, it was... <laughs> so, so, but the weirdest thing about it was these three-foot-long blobs that moved around the ship. They only saw a couple of them. And as they kind of look at them, they... They described them as protozoa, so a giant protozoa, a giant protozoa. So almost like weird. A, uh, I guess for those of you who don't know what a protozoa, what it's like a more of a like a single celled organism, except it's big. Yeah, right, right. But it's I, I want to say sphere, but it's not a sphere. It's like a more like an oval shape. Yeah. Um, but the problem is while they're looking, the in the uh, the bluish protozoa. Aliens, now called the Domston Blobs, have surrounded them. Turns out there was more than they initially thought. Uh, and so these things have no features. And they kind of pulsate. And so they latch on to these guys before they can get away. And they kind of like kind of like the movie The Blob, they kind of start to suck, suck them in. And they said it felt like this, kind of like this gravity. The, they called it a magnetic dough. Ooh. That kind of it was like kind of like Ooh. pulling them back without grabbing them, you know. Uh, and so these things, while pulling them back, smelt real bad. Smelt like burnt sausage. <laughs> yeah. They said ether and burnt sausage, but I don't know what ether smells like. Well, that's very specific fragrance: burnt yeah. sausage and ether. I don't know what ether smells Milky like. Man. First off. But well, so they're getting they're getting sucked into these things, and the creatures are dragging them back to their ship. And so they they they're trying to fight back. They can't escape. But a finally, Rydberg manages to tear himself free from them. And while he's hurling like hurtling towards his car, these things are chasing him pretty quick. Turns out they're I guess able to levitate a little bit. Maybe do some theorize it might be due to the ship allowing them to do so or something. But anyways, they're they're right on his tail. And right when he gets to his car, he hits his horn, I guess, to try to call for help or something. And so when he hits the horn, the Domston blobs back away. And they let go of his friend who was getting ready to be dragged onto the ship. Uh, So his friend runs up. They obviously get in their car and they drive off as fast as they can. And while, while they're getting in the car, Rydberg looks back. Oh no! Sorry, Gustafsson looks back, and he sees them filing back onto the ship and taking off. Taking off. What color was the light at that point? Uh, the color of the light, I would imagine, was yellow. Okay. Okay. <laughs> so the ship takes off. The the ship takes off, and Ryberg and Gustafsson go home. And once they get there, they decide, like I guess, on the way home. They decide that they're not going to tell anybody about the story because it's so crazy they know no one will believe them. Right. Well, after, and they were correct, and about after 72 hours, both of them were suffering from such extreme anxiety and like almost like uh, PTSD symptoms. Mm -hmm. I can imagine that. They can't, you know, rectify what just happened to them. And they also have all these huge bruises all over them like even like their their eyes are like bloodshot red from i guess the attack or whatever and even their family have noticed all these marks all over them before they told them so eventually let me double check the name before i misspeak uh gustafsson and ryberg tell gustafsson's family and the worst thing possible happens when you've had a trauma and you tell somebody they just laugh Man. they just laughed at them and but once they laughed and they started to realize that they were dead serious, Gustafsson's mother contacted the paper, the local big newspaper, and told them all about the story. Well, the police decided to bring the kids in for question. They're not kids; they're about twenty-five. But they decided to bring them in for question and question. Oh my gosh, questioning! <laughs> Is that what you're laughing? Worry, no, it was, no, <laughs> just keep going. But they decided to bring them in for questioning. And 
during this 11-hour interrogation. Jesus. Yeah, 11-hour interrogation where they ask these kids all these questions. They in even, Swedish. The police, in Swedish. Swedish, yeah. <laughs> and so, but the, the kids never break. But the most interesting part of the story is, is the police actually hid a microphone in the room so that whenever they left the room, they could hear what they were saying. Ah. And even when they left, uh, the two people kept their story the whole time. And so, even so, because the cops thought that if they left, the kid, the two guys would start talking about, you know, how they planned all this and whatever. And they right. never broke their story. Hmm. And so, they even, after that, they decided to send them to a series of, like, physical and psychological tests. And this, this went on for about three or four days. Passed with flying colors. They passed with flying colors. And, oh, that, and they were also, and the people, the... Psychologists even said that they had experienced a trauma that they absolutely believed to be true. But the Swedish military declared it a hoax. So what did they did they give any reason for how it was a hoax? They just said it wasn't they just said that it wasn't possible. Was was there any physical like did they take pictures of these guys with all the bruises and stuff? No. No. Uh, I don't. I, I want to say no. Uh, they did take pictures of them when they were being interviewed by the newspaper. Okay. So my mm. guess is that there's probably there were probably pictures of the bruises somewhere, especially if the police brought them in for questioning. Uh, I did not look up pictures of bruises. I, I just don't understand why they would interrogate these guys for eleven hours when they didn't technically do anything. They just claimed right? to flipping Swedes. <laughs> <laughs> But yeah, I, I guess I don't know why they would bring him in for that long. They just called him in for questioning, but obviously it turned into an interrogation. Well, to me, like the way that I'm kind of like picturing it is that they wanted to get all this information from these guys. And then just because they're like, maybe they knew something strange was going on. They knew about this ship, but they didn't want there to be like mass panic. So the military is like, oh, it, it's not real. Yeah. I mean, it's very possible. It is worth noting that this is the only sighting with aliens that look like this. There's no other yeah. sighting with blob monsters. Yeah, I've never heard of that. In fact, I always assumed blob monsters came from that movie, but I'm pretty sure this happened before that movie was made. It may have been. Yeah, this was 1958. I can't remember when the blob came out. Yeah, let me look that up. The blob. I know that was a remake in... Dude, it came out the same year, so that makes me suspicious. <laughs> if but, it came out yeah. before, <laughs> then it's like you kids stayed up late watching a movie. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, th- and this this story was a sensation, so it's it's interesting. The yeah. Domston Blobs. The Domston Blobs. Yeah. Well, I I did I looked up some some information about people who believe in aliens that I thought was really interesting. So, uh, according to a study by something called the Glocal... <laughs> glocal? <laughs> Another word for CC. How do you, Alex, how do you pronounce that to me? It was like glocalities, but... <laughs> how do you pronounce that? These aren't glocalities. You know what? Is it glocalities? It, it's spelled glocalities. Glocalities. We're going to yeah. just go with glocalities, okay? Glocalities? Is that what you're saying, Glo- glocalities? Glocalities. <laughs> 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 Yes. Oh, oh my god. Okay, so a study by the Glocalities. <laughs> of course, you fool. Revealed that <laughs> revealed that nearly half of the world's population do believe in aliens. And this was uh this was according to data they collected between twenty fifteen and twenty sixteen. They surveyed twenty six thousand people from twenty four different countries, and they found that the biggest believers were Russians. Then Mexicans, huh. and then the Chinese. Really, yeah. Americans um, aren't number one. Americans yeah, are up I'm there, surprised. but they're not. That baffles me. That's crazy. Yeah, and then I the, mean, we got Roswell. The, yeah, exactly. The most skeptical uh, was in the Netherlands. Oh, okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I also read an article in Psychology Today on five traits most likely to quote get you abducted by aliens. Mm, I bet being a telepath is one of them. No. Oh. <laughs> uh, a group of researchers at Harvard studied the psychology of people who claimed to have been taken by aliens, and they found five traits that kind of just about all of them had. Okay. 
So first one, regularly experiencing sleep paralysis and hallucinations when awaking. <laughs> surprise, surprise. Okay. Yeah. Two, tendency to recall false memories. Let me explain okay, that one. Yeah. So they kind of did like an experiment where they showed all the subjects these pictures of words and stuff, and then they'd show them the words again, and they would say, okay, do you remember seeing all these? And people would say that they'd actually seen things that they hadn't included oh, okay. in the first, ah. first set of words and stuff. So tendency to recall false memories. Three, high levels of absorption. Okay. This is this is the psychic thing, right? Psychology Today <laughs> says that absorption is oh. a trait related to fantasy proneness, vivid imagery, and susceptibility to hypnosis and suggestion. Oh, okay. Uh. So people get hypnotized and they're like, "Oh, I was taken by an alien." Interesting. Yeah. <laughs> I, I'm I'm suspicious of hypnosis in general, but I know it seems to work for some people. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we can cover that in the future. Ooh, we're gonna see a real yeah. hypnotist and we'll find out. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, four. Yeah, we'll discover that we were all abducted by aliens. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> uh, four new age beliefs. So alternative medicines, astrology, crystals, crystals, fortune telling, all that fun stuff. Yeah. And five is familiarity with the cultural narrative of alien abduction. So uh. maybe the reason all of these people who get abducted, their stories are so similar, is because they watch lots of sci-fi. They know kind right. of what it's supposed to, how it's supposed to go. Oh, yeah. So those were five traits that they kind of found amongst people who claim to have been abducted uh, by aliens. So, I thought that so was very interesting. People who have been abducted are uh, gullible, <laughs> naive, <laughs> yeah. and they have sleep paralysis, which I, I made a video not too long ago because I have sleep paralysis. That yeah, a lot of I hear a lot of abduction stories, and I'm like, no, man, you just had sleep paralysis. That's what happened. Uh, I mean, I had this conversation with with literally a relative not too long ago. She was like, somebody broke huh. in my house. I'm like, no, you had sleep paralysis. <laughs> Nobody was in your house. Oh, sleep man. paralysis is terrifying. Oh, yeah, it's awful. My grandfather had it, and he used to have this really terrifying nightmare that somebody was coming into his room, but he couldn't move to oh, kill yeah, him. That's, yeah, that's it in a nutshell. Oh, yeah, that's what it's like. Yep. No, I, uh, I wake up in Pyramid Heads there, and he's just standing over me. It's awful. Oh, that sounds terrible, James. Oh, man. My sleep yeah. paralysis nightmare would be getting a kidney stone. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> so, James, you say that you had an, a UFO experience. I had. Um, let's see. Uh, it's not a very entertaining one, but I'll tell it anyway. I know that sounds like, oh, you don't want to hear my boring UFO story. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> when I was a kid... Um, we we ordered a pizza, and uh, I was a little bit of a husky kid, so I was very excited that a pizza was coming. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I kept looking out the window like, when's he getting here? And I look up, and just above the tree line, uh, in uh, across from us, this beautiful, mercurial-looking ship. It looked like a seashell made out of mercury with uh, red and blue lights stringing across the center, just goes roaring past, like right over the tree line. And most interestingly, as fast as it was going, the trees didn't move a bit, you know? You'd think that with uh, something that fast moving over them, there would be some movement. But they were as still as could be. And uh, I turn, and my sister's there, and my, my twin sister, and she was like, what? So we both saw a uh, UFO uh, looking for the pizza guy, I guess. <laughs> so thank wow. you, Domino's, for, for allowing us to have that experience. <laughs> wow. That's cool. You know, yeah. I wonder, because I feel like a lot of people who who claim to have seen aliens, like, it does happen in kind of rural areas. Yeah. More yeah. than in, you know, cities. That's and I true. have a little fear about that. Uh, you know, if you're if you're doing, like, studies of different organisms like well case in point the the venezuelan instance i mean that sounds like alien geologists who didn't want to be messed with by uh what was it gustavo <laughs> and and, and, yeah. Pom and um, jose yeah jose uh similarly you know if you want to study plants or animals or geology or even anthropology 
you don't go to a heavily dense area. You go where it's, you know, you're not going to be disturbed and you're not going to have to interact with the local wildlife, us included. Um, Yeah. Uh, Do either of you have any interesting UFO stories, personally? I don't. I mean, I've had some really realistic dreams, but as far as I know, they were just dreams. I thought you said your dad saw a UFO one time in My dad. My dad actually did get some video of some nocturnal lights that were above the ocean uh, at Myrtle Beach. Neato. Yeah. We'll post it on our Instagram if I can get it from him. But yeah, yeah it's Beach. little white lights. Yeah. yeah, Myrtle Beach a lot, apparently. And he wasn't the only person who saw these. His sister was also there. And oh. there were other people on the beach with them that were pointing to it and taking video. And they weren't sure. Because I know that there, I think there is like a, a army base nearby. So they weren't sure right. if it was like. But it, they said it didn't look anything. Because they were moving across the sky in a way that just didn't seem natural. Like they'd be on one one side of uh, the ocean, and then next thing you know, they're on the other side. Trippy. And there were, I think he said there were three or four or five of them, but I'll see if I can get the video from him and we'll, we can There's put it on There's videos online of it. Yeah. Because it, it, apparently it's not, I wouldn't say frequent occurrence, but it has happened before over there. Yeah. Myrtle Beach. Yeah. And I have no encounters of my own. Yeah. Uh, Alex has no encounters of his own. Another theory, if they're at Myrtle Beach, you know, I'm noticing a tendency, maybe it's not rural, maybe it's the south. Maybe aliens don't like Yankees. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Maybe. oh, that's right. I got another story though. Um, this is this is this is a debunk story. Um, you were talking about sh- uh, the Tic Tac alien thing with it showing up on the radar. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> apparently, there was a Navy cruiser or aircraft carrier, and they started picking up on their radar they didn't physically see it in the sky at all this massive had to be the size of a city disc in the sky right well Mm -hmm. on an anonymous internet board one of the people on that boat sort of came clean as to what really happened and he didn't tell the top brass either he was you know talking about it because he was anonymous (laughs) according to him he was a crew member and he had uh he had shirked his duties and gone up near where the radar tower was and was using a uh, a little one of those little portable stoves to make Jiffy Pop. <laughs> and the skillet, <laughs> being in such close proximity to the uh, radar, messed it up and, and it basically projected like, oh my God, there's a big skillet-shaped thing in the atmosphere. <laughs> so... Yeah, so stranger things have happened, I guess. But yeah, Jiffy Pop That's... led to an incident. He just had he just had to make his Jiffy Pop right yeah. next to the radar. I get it. I totally understand it. Oh man! All right, guys, this has been fun. Yeah, that was a good one. Yeah, fun talking about aliens. Oh, yeah. What are we talking about next episode? What are we talking about? Did we talk about this already? No. Oh, yeah, so we're going on the fly about our next topic. Yeah. What do you, James? Okay. What do you want to talk about next episode? Oh, give me a sec. Let's think about this. Ooh, ooh. You know, it would be fun to talk about zombies. All right, let's oh, talk about zombies. Cool. Well, that's the one me and Cece had talked about a couple of days ago about what when we uh, should do that one. So episode, episode eight will be zombies. So stay tuned cool. for that. Yeah. So you guys, our music is Signal by Grant Cook. You can find him on Apple Music, Spotify, Amazon, and beyond. Cool. Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, no. I didn't know what I was supposed to say. I didn't know what I was supposed to say. So, anyways, yeah. Thanks for listening, guys. And yeah. we will check in again with you next week. Hey, and as, check out our as, Twitter account. Oh, yeah. Our Twitter and our Instagrams. What's our Twitter? What's the name on them? I can't 13th remember. 13th Floor Podcast. <laughs> 13th Floor Podcast. 13th is one. the number one, number three. Oh. <laughs> yeah. As always... Keep it Keep weird. It oh, shit. <laughs> 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 All right, bye, guys. Oh, no. <laughs>
burnt sausage in ether. 